This is The Great Equalizer, a parenting podcast about the realities of being a mom or dad in the 2020s. We are your hosts, Sam and Charlene, and we believe we're all rocking the same kind of crazy. So let's get real, let's get honest, and let's have a laugh about the ups and downs of our current upside down. Hashtag no judges. On this episode of The Great Equalizer, Sam is in shit. Charlene is on the move. And we chat about what we loved about Greta Gerwig's Barbie movie. Hello. Hello. It's you and me again. Yes, here we are. Yep. Just the two of us. I sing that every time. Every it's time. just the two of us in the studio. So mm-hmm. I should probably stop. One day you're going to have to do the whole thing from beginning you know, to oh end. God, I don't even know the whole song. <laughs> okay, how are you? Tell me, why are you in shit? What did you do? There are many reasons. Okay. I didn't do anything except I did everything. Okay. And I continue to just do everything <laughs> all the time. <laughs> And you know what? Oh, bring your A game, Sam. You're a mother. It's expected of you. (laughs) I'm in shit, literal, actual shit. And so is Ray, perchance, because Noah, our youngest, is party trained. Oh, the joys. Yeah. Which people are like, oh, use the book. Oh, crap, it's party training. And, you know, use this method. He'll be done in two days. Do it before he turns two. And I'm like, we are where we are. It is what it is. He's going to be three um, next month. And in summertime, he wasn't ready. I'm not even making excuses. It just like it never happened. And I needed Ray home when it was going to happen. I wasn't doing it myself. Two of us are here home and it's still hard. And he's not Elijah. (laughs) Elijah decided to not wear his nappy anymore and used the loo. Okay. And it took him a while to like wean from nighttime nappies, but he was fine. He was fine. <laughs> Noah is not. And Noah, like when you would ask him, we're like, Noah, you're going to have to start wearing underpants soon, soon. We were waiting for the weather to warm up. And he was like, no. And just outright, no. And he's very well-spoken and eloquent and manipulative and an almost three-year-old. And we're like, why? When, when is it right for you to wear underpants, do you think? When I'm six years old <laughs> okay, was well. always his answer. So <laughs> when it re- properly started warming up. Because his brother's up, six and he wears bro- underpants, see? Yeah. So when it properly started warming up, we... Did. It's know, time. It's time. And it was the worst weekend possible because we actually had to take Elijah for various reasons to the emergency room. Yes. He had a bacterial infection and couldn't walk, which is, I suppose, a trauma for another day that we'll divulge, divulge, get into. <laughs> but it was a traumatic weekend and, you know, go figure, was the weekend that we decided to pull the plaster on potty training. And my mom guilt is just... Don't you love life, though, how it just gives you a royal... Yeah. Hi. <laughs> Here's this for you. (laughs) I was also like, I could not do this, but then I'm not going to send him off to school on Monday and the teachers are expecting him to not be in nappies and that's the first day he potty trains. And there is a huge, and I even discussed this with a teacher, there's a huge sense of mom guilt in me that somebody else has him for the bulk of the time that he's potty training. 
Okay, really? Yeah, that it's not because there was discussion from someone else in the education community in talks of party training with parents who said, you know what, this is important for your child. You want to do this right. Take a week off of work. Show your child that you want to put them first and that it's important. It And she said it well-meaning, but I'm like, that's not, that's not helpful because... That's very few people's reality. Also, if we have to take a week off work whenever something important happens in our child's lives, who the fuck's going to do the work? No, but, no, but and no work, no pay. Yeah, sure. Going to pay for their yeah. their school fees yeah, and sure. you know, so we could also like in a corporate environment. How how would you how would you explain that? I'm Sorry, boss, a, I have another leave. big important milestone for my child. So be seeing you next week. <laughs> I don't think so, honey. Yeah, I get the premise, and I'm just like I'm. I would do that if I could, but I can't. I'm not shirking on my, you know. Shit wiping responsibilities. <laughs> I it's it is what it is, and that's also why it didn't happen sooner. Mm. And you know, I I tend to take my kids' lead on these things. It's just been he's not that big yet, not, Sam. No, he's not that big. But people will tell you that because people have you know people people have opinions and they like to share them with you all the time. So you know, it's time now for Noah. To be this way that we want him to be. And I'm like, this is hard. And anyways, a funny anecdote in line with that. And so I'll leave it at that. And <laughs> I'll update you the next time we talk on how it's going. Um, he was nappyless and um, pantsless, essentially, over the weekend. Came and sat next to me on the couch. Oh, uh, I was just going to ask you, how many shits have you had in the house? No, like randomly on the carpet or he, something. He did, look, he did, um, <laughs> Ray wasn't there for the party training talk. And at the party training talk, they said, don't have the boys standing in the garden and weeing because they need to learn to sit and do it. They have more control over their pelvic floor, essentially. Oh, this is interesting. Mm. I've party trained two children and never known this. Boys, well, only one was a boy. Boys have, boys tend to stand and wee, but, um, you know, some research indicates that it's better for them to learn to sit first, sit and wee first, because of their pelvic floor and their muscle control. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. We actually had a physio in to, um, there's a pelvic floor physio who's a mom at the school and she helped out with the talk. It was a really interesting talk and um, very helpful as well. And spoke about how the bladder is a storage unit, but the rectum where the poo goes is not a storage unit. So either it comes out and that's why kids have less control and humans essentially have yeah. less control or if it doesn't come out at that moment, it goes all the way back in until the next lot has to come out. Oh, which would explain your, I don't know if this is what you're going to tell us about being on the floor for two hours and not oh, too long ago. In I the wasn't going to, yeah. So part of that, part of the our, our journey was that I would be sitting, I, I sat with him for two hours where it needed to come out but, but it went back in the, instead, the and there it stayed. Who was shy? Yeah. <laughs> oh. And Elijah, my spiritual child, had us sit down and pray to God to get, make Noah's poo less shy. Oh. <laughs> we yes. all had to sit huddled around the this toilet. Amazing. So Elijah, what do you want me to say to God? I don't know, Mom. You the one who prays. <laughs> oh my gosh. 
okay, dear God, this is not high on your priority list. And to yeah, to pray to make Noah's Pule shy. And Noah, I said to Noah, let's try again tomorrow. It's okay. Let's maybe go bath and then maybe your tummy will relax. Relax it, yes. He would not get off that toilet. Eventually, I had to pull him off the toilet, kicking and screaming, literally. And, you know, I'm not used to tantrums. My kids, like, Noah, Noah's like, Pulling me a fresh one, like <laughs> Elijah never did this. It's just you know these second children. <laughs> so <laughs> at one point, I'm getting, I'm trying to get him into the bath, and he's like screaming bloody murder, and he's it's like a cartoon. He's put his legs out, and I'm trying to dump him in the bath, <laughs> and he's like, it's like he's going through his, a doorway, and you've got your out. legs open wide, and you're like, I can't go through because he's. <laughs> I actually in the moment found the the humor in it and I like scooped him up and put him in the bath, fully expecting him to pass out, to rage in the water and he did eventually calm down. But that was a nice two hour stint of us. Uh we had dinner in the in the toilet waiting for him to poo. So this is not was, for my queasy stomach, but I mean could oh, well, no, I mean yeah. I would never have been able to do that. That's that's Admirable. <laughs> yeah. So that happened. But the, the anecdote that oh, and he also um weed in the garden. Yes. Um and they and I decided, you know what, it's a guy thing. I'm just gonna they're gonna they're gonna do it. When they come home, they can go weed in the garden. And uh, Elijah weed in the garden and knew when t- Elijah just has that EQ that you don't wee on anybody else's garden, you just wee in ours. Yes. Noah's teacher found him after lunch. With no pants, no underpants. And she's like, where were you and where are your pants? And he's like, I needed to wee. So I just went in the garden at school, which was delightful. Well, I mean, the concept that we're teaching is don't wee in your pants. So he didn't. He didn't. Yeah. So this is complicated, man. It's It's very complicated. So last one and then I'll move on from the shit talk. (laughs) He was sitting on the couch next to me, butt naked, and Ray's event. And I'm scrolling my phone. I'm like, okay, yeah, like, it's naked. Let me know when you need to do anything. You know? Yes. And Ray's like, you're going to get poo on the, the couch. couch. Like, come and put some clothes on. Noah splays his legs out. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Puts his bum in the air and sticks his finger up his bum hole and oh, says, wow. there's no poo. Look. And Ray's like, Sam, and I'm like, what? What is the issue? He's got, he's got shit on his hands. <laughs> it's not for the faint. Like, if anybody's thinking of having a baby, you know, just play them this section of our episode because it's the best contraception. Those cute little things that have, like, scentless, like, yellow poos to begin with become... Animals that stick their fingers <laughs> up their bum holes shamelessly. <laughs> it's traumatic. So, Listen, that, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry that that happened, but I'm so grateful for the entertainment because it's, <laughs> it's very entertaining to hear these things. Mm-hmm. Also, you're doing a great job. I mean, m- with my firstborn, <laughs> when we were potty training, he was kind of still trying to get the concept of when and how and what this should be. And he just one day 
dropped a deuce on the patio floor and I, instead of gentle parenting him, shouted at him and made him pick it up with a tissue <laughs> like it was doctored. So, I mean, in hindsight, I, I probably could have handled that differently. I think he's fine. He'll, it'll come probably come up in therapy one day, but <laughs> he's fully functioning in the, the Lou department now at seven years of age. So I think yeah. we'll be fine. Also, Joshua, I'm sorry that I'm telling this embarrassing story on a public forum. <laughs> You're welcome to hate me for this. If not this, you'll find something. It's the best album. It's the best <laughs> album to look back on their childhood, yes. I believe. Yeah. So you're on the move. You're always on the move. But why are you particularly on the move now? Well, we're moving house and we've outgrown our property and it's proximity to schools at the moment. It's the commute is just, it's too much. And so it's time. It's time for us to move on. And that was never going to be our forever home. Um, we've lived where we've lived now for nine years, which is, in my opinion, eight years too long because it was always only going to be a just a year until we find our spot. And I was so traumatized by the original move that it landed us there for nine years because I wasn't prepared to do it again. And now we have nine years worth of shit more. Mm. And also, in aside from all of that, we've got nine years worth of major memories in this house, including pooing on the patio and having to pick it up with a tissue. And <laughs> I mean, we, we moved in there before we were uh, engaged or married even. Yeah. And we've lived there forever. Both my children, I've had both my pregnancies there. Both our children were born there. So it's a lot. It's mm. a big one. And I'm feeling super emotional over it and nervous. Like, is this the right decision for our family? Because... Essentially, I feel like I'm the one driving this. It, it's important to me to move on. And Jesse's neither here nor there. Joshua's like quite emotional about it. He can't quite see it. And Rhett is adverse to change entirely. He's going along with it for my sake. And now I'm like, I hope this isn't a fuck up because it's going to be on me. <laughs> There's always room to change, no matter what. Every choice you make, well, most choices you make, including a move, as hard as it w was what it would be, there's a way out of it. Not, yeah. Not to prevent yourself from doing it, but if it's not a good fit. Yeah, if it doesn't work, we can change it, but you pivot, you we know? will never get back what we had. No. Not that it's the perfect place for us. But it's your home. And, that, and what a testament to your family that you guys made a home there. Yeah. Anyway, so it's also, I mean, I also have to think about my mental health and being in a, in a tight, small space like that. I'd, it's, it's too much. I feel claustrophobic and I feel like the kids are, they're small still, but they're going to grow. And Jesse's in grade one next year. And they're like, we're like doing homework at the dining room table, which I can put a desk in each of their rooms, but there's so little space. And then, we're doing homework at the dining room table, which is also it's our dining room table, also my office, and also just our general and when it's dump time for everything. Dinner, it's it's a fuck we, up. We're in the same thing that we're, when it's time for dinner, it's just like, okay, now we need to shove all of our shit to the side to sit down. So we got like a one of those old school desks from my um, brother and sister-in-law, uh, Ray's brother. Yes. Um, that our niece used to work on, like those old school mm -hmm. um 
where it is. And I'm just, Ray's like, where are we going to put it? I'm like, I don't care. But there needs to be a dedicated space. to sit now. Yeah, it's, but I hear you. Like, you do outgrow your space. And I actually made a comment to someone who lives in uh, four ways the other day because that's essentially where you're moving from. And because I know about the traffic situation you sit in all the time, yeah, I, I likened it to Mordor, you yeah. know, like in, in Lord of the Rings where they travel to. I'm just like, oh, you know, that like whole suck that just like totally sucks up all of your time yes. and will to live. Yes. You know, and he's just like, I quite like living there. I was like, <laughs> that means you insult the place where you live. Uh, but it's, it's, I think it will make a huge I'm impact on your mental health to not have to sit yeah, in there's going to be adjustments you know there's going to be there, there will be positives and negatives and we're going to have to just decide what is the we, we're trading off space and mm. you know a lot of things for and what are we sacrificing in return and we won't know until we're there so, so this that, made me think that. of a Winnie the Pooh quote which is what I was googling earlier how lucky I am to have something that makes saying goodbye so hard Oh, yeah. why you got to get me in the fields now again? Because yeah. it could be that you like, this house has the worst memories and I can't wait to get away get from it. Get out of here, yeah. Actually, how lucky is it that you guys have the opposite? I Yeah, you're right. I guess the biggest, the hardest part for me is just like, am I making this decision for our family or am I making this decision for me and convincing myself that it will be better for the family because... What am I essentially taking away from my children that was very good for them? Would it be that hard? Would it be ugh, not that hard? Would it be that bad if that were? Well, I guess life is about change. And so mm. we start making new memories. And it's messy. Mm. Motherhood's messy. Life's and, messy. And this whole podcast has always been about the both end, right? Mm. It's always been about um, it's hard to move. And also it's time to move, you know? Yeah. Um, and we deal with the messy contradictions of motherhood. Like I said, it's what our show's always been about. I can hate this phase of potty training mm. and still love my child. Noah can listen back on the digits up his a-hole <laughs> and know that I still love the proverbial crap out of him. Yeah. Mind the pun. <laughs> pun is <laughs> It's both and. Mm. That's sitting on the bathroom floor for two hours broke me. But I have those two hours that I spent singing songs. If he had a, a little sister, he would call her Naruto. Well. You know? Now you know. It's the both and of motherhood and it's it's messy contradictions and that is um, what we're going to be talking about today. Basically, in the context of, and uh, very overdue, but we're doing it anyway, in the context of the Barbie movie. Please remember, what we say on this podcast can only be considered the gospel on China Sam and Charlene, respectively. Our kids and husbands can be assholes and angels at the same time. And only we're allowed to say so. And lastly, by virtue of the fact that we are amazingly insightful and incredibly divine human beings and a fucking delight, to be honest, we reserve the right to change our minds and or contradict ourselves whenever we so choose. And we don't want to hear a damn thing about it. Hashtag no judges. So, mm -hmm. fair warning here. For anybody listening, this episode is going to contain... A hectic amount of spoilers. Essentially, we're going to unpack the movie, what it meant to us. There's going to be a lot 
You know, so if you have at a point where you don't want to know what happens in the movie for anybody listening or for any viewers, then maybe tune out, watch the movie, and then come, please come back. It's going to be streaming soon. It's going to be available soon. Um, I hope it's still out in the cinema. It is. I think, I don't know if this is maybe the last week. But it's, yeah, it's, it's worth a watch first. If, but if you don't mind the spoilers, this it's all happening here. So some facts about the movie, and I get this from Insider.com. Thanks, Insider.com. Yeah. It is the um, biggest global earning Warner Brothers movie ever and the highest grossest domestic movie, domestic as in Canada and US, so not domestic South Africa, the highest grossing movie of the year surpassing the Mario Brothers movie. Um, it has made... Uh, as of last night, 1.38 billion in twenty. And if you want to compare that, I looked it up. And in 2016, the average movie um, grossed grossed. I don't know whether that's, it's it's a correct comparison, but I think grossed 373.2 million. Oh wow! So that's a substantial difference. And there's a big difference between a billion and a million. So 1.38 billion. Can that be? It has shaken the the U.S. economy together with Taylor Swift and Beyonce. <laughs> We're entering the 90s era of girl power all over again. Like Spice Girls roll over because Taylor Swift, Beyonce and the Barbie movie have come in. Thank you, Greta Gerwig. <laughs> <laughs> so some fun facts, right? The You'll know that... Um, Barbie's feet are always pointed because she wears heels. Heels, yeah. She's a woman. So Barbie always wears heels. And when Barbie um, steps out of her bed in the morning, there's like an iconic, what will be an iconic shot, I'm sure, of her feet slipping into her shoes. And her feet going flat is a big plot point in the movie um, where she swaps her heels for Birkenstocks. <laughs> Those are Margot Robbie's feet. They did not use a foot model. They used Margot Robbie's beautiful feet. Those are some beautiful, great feet, great Margot. Feet. Yeah. Yes, like. <laughs> Every day um, of production. So Ryan Gosling acts as Ken. Yes. Every day of production. Oh, and Ken's, Ken's job, his occupation is beach. Yes, he's beach. You know. Do you I want like to beach to, off, Sam? Yeah. No, I would love to beach. I would love to make money beaching. beaching yes. What if... All what I want to do is beach. Yes. I need to go with you, Bobby, because what if you don't know how to beach? <laughs> so um, every day of production, Margot Robbie sent Ryan Gosling a beach-related gift that she wrapped in like a in pink packaging with a nice, beautiful pink bow. Ah, oh, that's fantastic. And on the topic of pink, there was a shortage of pink paint as they were building the set. <laughs> because they just, it was pink everything. Jeez, like it hats does. off to the, the <laughs> staff that were like painting those surfaces. It was, it was quite colorful. And then what's amazing to me is like, we didn't wear pink when we went to go watch it, but... Um, all cinemas, like, you know, it was like a tradition that you, or not a tradition, what would you, it was the done thing to when you went and watched the Barbie movie to like 
dress yourself all in pink. Yes, most girls, they out. would dress up like as Barbie or wear pink or whatever. No. So much so that when I told Rhett that we're going to watch the movie, he was like, oh, cool. What, what, what are you going to wear? What are you going to wear? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I don't really know. He's like, yeah, go buy it. I'll, I'll give you a gift. Go buy yourself a new dress. I was like, thanks, but we're not dressing up and I don't have the energy. <laughs> I know. We like... In hindsight, I'm just like, oh, maybe I should have made the effort. But yeah, to just the fact get that there. we managed to get yeah. to there to go is, to me, testament to hard work. Yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> made so, it happen. And I don't think we've ever, when we sat down together, because we went with um, a couple of my girlfriends, and you joined us, and then a friend of Ray's, Chris, joined us. Yes. I would say un- Uncle Chris, a family friend now. Yes. Um. Joined us. He's a movie fundy. Yes. And sat next to me and was ill prepared for the waterworks. Waterworks that would ensue, <laughs> which we'll get to. But um, the what was interesting for me, um, now that there's been some time, you know, to see how the movie has landed, is that what Hollywood decision makers took away from this movie, and I get this from a HuffPost article that we're going to reference a bit later, Hollywood decision makers um, did not see that they needed to make more movies by and about women because that's essentially what Barbie is. It was made for women. Mm. Uh, they, they thought the success of it was um, due to the fact that it was about a toy and that they should... Make more movies about, about toys. toys. That mm. was the big key takeaway. Takeaway, yeah. Thanks typical. for that, Hollywood. Isn't that typical? So now I'm going to hand over to you. I'm going to throw it over. For those <laughs> who are who have no idea what this movie is about, they just know Barbie is this, you know, blonde, bosomy toy for girls, essentially. What is the movie about? <laughs> okay, I hope I touch on all the points, but I'll try and just briefly sum it up. Margot Robbie plays stereotypical Barbie and she lives in Barbie land with all of the other Barbies and Kens. There are multiple Barbies and Kens. And they all call themselves, hi Barbie, hi Barbie, hi Barbie, hi, Barbie, hi, Barbie. Barbie. hi Ken. Everybody's hi Ken, Ken hi and Ken. everybody's Barbie, but yes. they're all different types. Yes. Right? Okay. And um, she basically wakes up one day and her feet have gone flat. They start to go flat and she uncontrollably starts thinking about death, which is obviously contradictory to how it should be in Barbie land. And so she... Barbie land is just about beaching. Yes. And, and partying. Yes. And, and sliding down and, yes. to your front door from your bedroom or sliding down into the pool, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So if you think about a Barbie, what is it called? A Barbie dream house. Yes, yes there's, everything's just perfect. Anyway, so her feet go flat and she's like unsure whether she should divulge this information with anyone around her, but she eventually does. And so long story short, it is established that she needs to, some, there's, there's, something has broken the, what is it, time-space continuum yes. essentially in the there's real, the real world. world and there's the Barbie world. And, yes. And, and so she lives in the Barbie world. But in the while, while Barbie world exists or Barbie land exists, there's a parallel universe, which is the real world, and something is amiss in the real world with the little girl that is playing with her, with her Barbie doll in the real world. And – these sad feelings that this girl in the real world is experiencing 
is now affecting what's happening to Barbie in Barbie land. And the only way to fix it is to travel to the real world to go and find the problem, get the little girl essentially happy again, because that's what Barbie do, what Barbie does, what Barbies do. They are there to make little girls happy. And so she takes this journey, but Ken insists on going with her because what if beach? What what if she needs to beach? And like, <laughs> and also it bears mentioning that Ken is hopelessly in, in love. That's what I was going to say. He's hopelessly like just pathetically in love with her. And I say pathetically because that is his aside from beaching. That is his only existence. And there is a scene which we can also unpack at some point where he like literally says that he's everything revolves around her just like merely looking at him or glancing over at him. And so he goes with her. Um, she's not so much in love with him, though. In no. And I, I think it is. She's also, expected to be. We discussed this, that it's a, it's a Barbie's and Ken's while they have a gender and the gender is binary. Women and men. Yes. It's a sexless society. Yes. They're not, Barbie's not having sex. With? My Barbies, when I played, had plenty. Of sex? Of sex. Oh, and mine never they did. They got naked. Very oh, mine were they naked had to as get, well. They had to get married first. Yes. And I had a pregnant midge. Yes. I had that pregnant midge that's... In the movie. Features in the movie. And... She, she had, had to, sex. She with had Ken. to have sex to fall pregnant, but we'll we'll get to that. How but progressive of you! In the movie, <laughs> <laughs> kudos to my mom. You yes. didn't hold back on the sex ed. Um, in, in the, the movie, movie, they kiss. At, uh, is that what you were going to well, say? I, what were you going to say? The about scene after the while he after he hangs out at her house, he yes. was like. He says, I think it's in the trailer somewhere. It's on social media. So it's not like the ma- biggest spoiler. Well, we're spoiling everything. Yeah, we're, we're laying Ken says there. to Bobby, I was hoping she wishes him good night to go. And he's like, I was hoping I could like stay over tonight. And she says, and do what? And he <laughs> yeah. says, I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know. It's a sexless. So mm. this is not about sex. This is about identity. Yes. And... um she she has a sleepover every night with her friends with her girlfriends yes and it's it's this it's a it's a little girl's dreamland of what life as a woman could be like yes. there were no there's not even the only element there's no like heat cold um the only the only like natural element in the movie is wind just enough to a breeze just yes. enough to like sweep your hair to make it more attractive. And there's know. no tears and no, there's no like real things. Emotions. In, yes. or, yeah. And so when Ken journeys with the love of his life to the real world, they discover or learn about the patriarchy um, where men have all the power and women pander to them to, I guess, because to put it simply. Yes. Barbie Land. And Barbie yes. Land, Barbie is a... One of the Barbies is a president. Yes. You get President Barbie. And so w- while Ken is on this discovery of, oh, my gosh, it's so different here to my world and I like this. Barbie, like, I have power here. Yes. I'm desirable here. Yes. I'm a person here. Everyone's looking at me yeah. and it's making me feel good, whereas Barbie has the opposite. It's making her feel a little bit... She uses she descri- describes being self conscious so well in such a simplistic way, um, and so she becomes 
unhappy and uncomfortable and increasingly flawed as time moves on, even to the point where real tears flow. She starts discovering misogyny, essentially, mm. where they are cycling or not cycling, skating down a boardwalk at the beach and, and gets like dirty like looks. Yeah, he gets high fives and she she gets these leering stares. Objectified. And as and a like, woman, you can identify with that. And you're just like, I feel so uncomfortable right now. Yes. And I was running the other day with, with my dog and thought and was always looking over my shoulder. And I thought, yeah, I wonder if men feel this way. And it made me think of that scene. <laughs> yes. And I was just like, I feel so self-conscious, but also fearful. Yes. And so Barbie starts feeling these feelings that real feelings that we that as women in the real world real world feel. experience yeah and then yeah so i guess that's basically it and then they she has to travel back to barbie land to i guess set things right that have now changed in barbie land in the interim while she was in the real world yeah yeah and she makes certain discoveries yes. um, along the way so throughout this movie we had some experiences at one point when we were watching, you said, oh, my God, I'm going to cry. And I was just like, yeah, I don't know what you were expecting. No, but... I, I mean, can I tell you what I was yes, expecting? I so I really wanted to watch it, obviously, because of all the hype that it was that you saw on social media. But I very deliberately did not click on any articles, did not read any reviews, did not watch any reels or videos about it at all. Because I wanted to walk in there with fresh eyes. I, I did not even read like a synopsis of the movie. So you had no idea. You just knew who was playing it. And I, it was I knew deal. it was a great cast and I was prepared to be wowed. That's what I went in. And you're a Barbie fan. With. So tell us quickly about your relationship with Barbie growing up. We've spoken about it like before. Yeah. Yeah. Very early episode when we spoke about birthday parties. Yes. Because you had an epic birthday party <laughs> yes. one year. Yes. Centered so, around your Barbie's wedding. So I was, so I have a very like obsessive connection essentially to Barbie because growing up, my cousins had the best Barbies and they had multiple Barbies and anything Barbie related, if it was a Barbie car or a Barbie anything, if there was a new like uh, equestrian Barbie release, release, they had it. I had like maybe two Barbies and the rest of my dolls were Fake Barbies. Like they were like generic, generic knockoff. They were like yeah. a Cindy doll or a this doll or a Steffi doll or whatever. They were not like Barbie Barbie dolls. They looked like Barbie and dolls. The quality is like leaps different. Yeah. And also price wise, it was different. Mm -hmm. So just from a pricing perspective, I. I was able to have a Barbie, okay. like a genuine Barbie, but she wasn't like a high-end, top-of-the-range Barbie. It was an accessible Barbie. And so she was my absolute pride and joy. But then there was Ken, and I wanted them to have a child. And who's the little – Chelsea. Chelsea's the Skipper. little – Skipper. Isn't that Skipper? Yeah, yes. Skipper's Barbie's little sister. Yes. And so there was – Chelsea's only more recent, hey, Chelsea doll. No idea. So Chelsea – I, I didn't understand it, but I was like, oh, because if there's a little one, then that must be Ken and Bobby's kid, and I want them to have a kid. I didn't even know there was a pregnant Bobby growing up. And so I wanted them to have a kid, and I said to my mom one day, how do I – how do they get a kid? Like, I, I want I, – this is on my, like, wish list for birthdays and Christmas, but – 
how can Ken and Bobby have the kid? And so my mom innocently said, well, when they get married, then they'll have a baby. And that's, I think she didn't understand where my questioning was coming from. Mm. And she thought I was asking a question about how, where do babies come from? And I was just, just like, like, just want I want, shops, I want this doll, thing. Kid doll. <laughs> and I wanted to see how to bridge that. How do I get to that point? Yeah. And so she went on this long thing of, well, when you're married, yeah, da, 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 da. And I was like, well, then I want a wedding for my Barbie and my Ken so that they may have this baby. <laughs> because that's what you need to do to have a baby yes. is get married. Right. Ken's and Barbies got married often. And so I had a Barbie party, but it wasn't a Barbie party. It was a wedding. My Barbie and Ken got married and the whole family got up in arms. I have to, My family... Got on board with this oh, shit. Can amazing. I tell My okay. dad made like handmade little tables and chairs for the guests. And my gran had two Barbie dolls. Um, and she had a black one. And it was decided that the, the black Barbie will be singing in the church because of these beautiful black singers with their beautiful voices. And so she sang in the church. And they, my aunt was a singer at the time. She sang in the church. And she recorded, pre-recorded a, a song that played while Ken and Barbie walked into the <laughs> church. And my friends brought their Barbies. They were the guests. So wedding invites went out to my school friends for birthdays. And this was all done by my family. My grandparents, my dad, and my mom amazing. made all of this happen. It, it was insane. It was amazing. And, you know, I do not have a single photo of it. It's but it's sad. Lo it's locked in. There were photos taken, but then story. the actual printed photos. Mm. Anyway, so, I, so that was a big thing for me about Barbie. And to get back to my expectation, I guess Barbie was always an aspirational thing for me. I always aspired to having a collection of Barbies. And so I always only at a distance interacted with mm. Barbie, aside from my one little Barbie that I had. I initially had one and I'm the kind of person, I think even now, like I would still be, if it wasn't for my kids and my husband, I would still be driving my blue Toyota Yaris, you know, because I loved that car. Like, it, it was paid off and done. But, you know, kids must needs and it it just didn't serve us. And yes, we, you needed we a family like, car. and a family car. So we moved on from my Yaris. But I'm just the kind of person that I'm happy with what I got, you know. Yeah. Until someone points out that I'm lacking. Yes. So I had one Barbie and one Ken. What more do you need? Yes. You need to play out the relationship. And they had a house and they lived a very happy life together, my Barbie and Ken. Do you remember those, Those, I think they were like almost like cardboardy but like more sturdy suitcases. with They looked like candy stripes yes. when we were growing up. Yes. I had a red one and that's where I put all my Barbie stuff in. My one Barbie, my one Ken and all the clothes. Until one of my friends came over and said, you be Ken, because why do you only have one Barbie? And the next day. Other people's kids, man. Other people's kids. <laughs> the next day, and I suppose there's a lot of psychology behind this that we won't get into. The next day, my mom found the Barbie in the dustbin. Oh, wow. Just threw her away. So you're not good enough anymore. And I chucked her. And I mean, I... I grew my collection over the years. I think my mom is probably like me as a mom and she 
eventually got out of me that this friend said this about my collection and went, well, fuck her. We're going to go to the shops and get you another one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's my mom for you. So probably my collection grew and I had a major, I had a favorite one. Um, when I was sick one year and I had an operation, my mom got me the Hollywood Barbie with that had really long hair. Oh, I, You know, you're like sentimental and nostalgic about the various outfits that you can remember. Yeah. Putting on. Yeah. Your dolls, you know. So, and also, I think yeah, it was an aspirational thing. Um, not in terms of like how much you have for me, but just in terms of like what am, woman am I going to be when I'm older? And then you see, so that for it was never that for me. I never looked at Barbie and I was like, oh, I wish I had I a wish. tiny waist like her, or I want to. Well, that was the epitome of women. That was what you would grow into one day. Yeah, and I never questioned it. But what I did obsess about was the longer the hair, the nicer the Barbie and the more I wanted it. Yes. So Hollywood Barbie had the hair all the way down. I never had Hollywood Barbie. I wanted Hollywood Barbie. And I never (laughs) came with a scissors so that you could cut her hair and I never did. Mm. My Barbies never went into the pool. Because you know what happens. Exactly. They become weird Barbies. Jessie <laughs> Jesse does not give two hoots about so, so Barbies going in the water. For those who don't know, when Barbies go into the water, their hair becomes really gross. You can't fix it. And yeah, gross. And I was going to say frizzy. And luckily I didn't say frizzy before you said gross because <laughs> maybe I don't I'm know not saying better. that frizzy, frizzy hair is gross. gross. <laughs> Barbie's hair was not like it as becomes, it once was. Yes, it becomes uncontrollable. Oh and God, it's the, We're exposing all of our beauty standards here, Charlene. <laughs> it's the synthetic material that the hair is no, Don't lie to match to Barbie's hair. It's not smooth no. like when you oh first God. take her out of the box. You get some curly-haired Barbies now. Let's not backtrack. Anyways. Anyways. <laughs> so what I did not expect was the... M- the moving messages and the underlying, I guess, social commentary Mm. because I deliberately didn't read up about it. I wanted to go in with fresh eyes and see it for myself and then decide. But I I fully expected it to be entertaining. I fully expected to love it because of – purely by virtue of the fact that the cast is phenomenal and – yeah, so I expected to be entertained. I did not expect it. I did not expect to be moved. So these were my thoughts throughout the movie. I knew people, and I knew nothing about the mother-daughter. No, no. There's a mother-daughter narrative. story arc that I didn't expect either. But um, America Ferrera is the mom essentially. So there was like a glitch in the Matrix, and the person. Who eventually it comes out, the person... In the real world. In the real world. That is causing the break in the space-time continuum or whatever. It's time, not space the little girl. But the mother of but the, the mother girl. of the little girl who misses playing with her little girl and misses... Playing Barbie. And playing Barbie and, and buying into this ideal. She's jaded by life. Yes, because the mom was like you and I grew up with Barbie and the image of Barbie, but her daughter is now growing up in a different era. Mm. And she's like, I don't like what this represents. So I'm moving away from Barbie. My daughter's a preteen now and or teen in her early teens. And she's kind of the daughter, Sasha, and the mom is Gloria, played by America Ferreira. So what, when the movie really went on circuit, what really started 
um, coming out was America Ferreira's monologue, which I thought, okay, that's been spoiled for me. I now see the the where the really emotive part of the movie is. And I thought basic tenets of feminism that you can't win, that you can't please everybody, that you have to, and we're going to stay tuned because we're going to share the monologue with everybody. But um, yeah, it, it, it's those basic tenets that I'm like, okay, I'm very well aware. I delve into this daily in my work and I don't think it's going to, it's going to be emotive, but it's nothing new for me. Mm. And I totally pulled the rug out from under me. You know, you were unexpected. I kind of knew what to expect. And as I say in the movie, you turned to me and you were like, am I going to cry? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah you probably are. are. And probably I won't. And I was like, no. <laughs> I expect this. I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. fine. <laughs> I'm strong. I know these things. And it, it broke Shook me. me. Mm. There was also one part. I've never actually had such a visceral reaction to a movie before. There was one part where, um, you know, as, as it goes, Greta Gerwig, who's a student of women, she calls herself that. That's She made Little Women, she made Lady Bird, and she's made this, and she's also an actress. And she she's fascinated. But in the same way that my work revolves around motherhood, Greta Gerwig's work revolves around women and her fascination with mother-daughter relationships. And she, there's a point where Barbie realizes, like, well, fuck this. I'm just going to lie down. As we, and we all know that feeling. And then um, there's, like, an, a Mattel ad break where a new – because Barbie has made this decision – um, a new Barbie gets created. We're stereotypical. In the real world. While this is, while Barbie's going through essentially an existential crisis. <laughs> in the real in, world. In, in Barbie land, in, while this is happening, in the real world, Mattel is marketing the shit out of <laughs> a new depressed, depression Barbie. <laughs> and they insert a little, like a montage or an ad, a promo of, of depression Barbie. Which <laughs> describes... Yours truly. And you. And like, me. To a T. To so, a T. And I need to watch that part again because I've only watched Barbie the once. And I, when I clicked what was happening, what they were doing, what the device, the narrative device that was being used in the movie and what, what they were describing, I started laughing so viscerally and that our tears were coming out of my eyes. I can't. I don't even know what that scene looks like. What that ad? I was laughing like I've never laughed before in a movie. I, I don't even know what came over me. It was that funny be- and sad because of how much yes. it slapped. <laughs> I, yes, it was like lit. It slapped is what like, it did. Okay, I was. That like, was. Were you talking about me? <laughs> like also, like, do you know me? Like, how do you know me? You yeah. cannot be knowing me this well. It was so blind. And I was, I was laughing. You know, I, you laugh, cry because you're crying from the laughter, but you're also crying because you're like, this is quite sad. <laughs> this is me. Exactly. What's great though is that if anything, that proved to me. Okay, we're making fun. I felt a little bit guilty for laughing so hard at it because we're making fun of a very serious issue, but, but it's a satire. Yes. And it's just like you it's like a mirror. You're looking into a mirror and it's actually great that we can make 
poke fun at ourselves and be like, you know what? This is actually more common than anyone cares to admit or even talk about. Yeah. And so Depression Barbie was born. And look, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because I want to talk about the line that has oh, yeah. some people so up in arms. Um, because after that, I had this this laughing fit. And not even 10 minutes later, I'm sobbing. Like deeply crying. Yeah, you are new on one side of me. You're, you're covering your face and your shoulders are just <laughs> shaking. shaking. And on the other side of me is poor Chris, like, um, there's a lot of, like, emotions. Lot of emotions right now. And shame, like, to his credit, um, he did not uh, fall asleep like some other men I know <laughs> in the movie. And he um, paid attention to to the narrative devices and what was being said and the message. And um, he's a great person to watch a movie with. And he's a great person, yeah, full stop. I have a lot of love and respect for him. But also, he he's so uh, he opens his perspective. He just looks yeah. at things. And that's probably why he's so great with movies because yeah. he just – and why he makes great movies yeah, because he exactly. just – he just looks at things. So And then when we were leaving the cinema, he also – he gave me like a little hug. He's just like, you know. I was like, okay, no Thanks. more, no more. Just gonna. So the line, the line that like gets you is you, you meet an old woman at some point in the movie when Barbie's trying to escape the, the, the guys at Mattel. She needs to get back to Barbie land and she eventually finds Mattel. She doesn't know what to do. There's, there's drama that escalates and you just got to roll with it. And they're trying to put Barbie back in the box, get her back to Barbie land and just make sure that the glitch is restored and that everything is fine. And she's, something in Barbie goes, I'm not getting in this fucking box. Her gut feel. To, as she steps into the box, she gets like something yeah. comes over and she's like, no, 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 this no, not I'm, I'm not going back in yet. And she makes a run for it and she gets these an old woman. She walks into this old woman's kitchen and the woman shows her, has a dialogue with her where Barbie has to drink real tea and she's just like, what the fuck is this? Because yeah. Barbie's always drinking fake tea fake. in Barbie land. <laughs> they have a cup and they do pour it, but nothing comes out. And um, she, this woman shows her the exit and who this woman, event, eventually we find out that it is um, Ruth Handler, who created Barbie, um, the creator of Barbie, who is a contradictory character, or not a contradictory, a, a controversial character, character yeah. in and of herself. She was ousted by Mattel eventually because in this was in 1971, the um, IRS came after her because she falsified financial documents. So she was basically indicted for fraud. So she, am I right in saying that she, the, the financials she reflected, she showed that they were making less money so that she could, ev for tax evasion, essentially. I don't know, but there was tax evasion Because in the movie she mentions something, something yeah. along those lines. And you know, this character. and she's just like, it is what it is. She's, she doesn't purport to be anything less than, yeah, I'm just a person. I'm just a human being. And then um, at the very end of the movie, after Depression Barbie sets in and whatnot, and we're skipping a lot of steps, but um, the what really got me emotional and what took me by surprise is that towards the end, um, 
Barbie's uh, talking to Ruth again. Barbie's talking to Ruth and she also, everybody gets a happy ending, but Barbie doesn't get her happy ending. And someone points out, you know, what about Barbie? And she follows Ruth and the two of them have a discussion. And um, yeah, she compares. She basically asks for permission to she, become a real human. To become a and real Ruth human. says, you don't need my permission. I don't even know what the fuck's going on half the time. And, <laughs> yeah. and then... She delivers this line, Ruth, to Barbie. To Barbie saying, okay, first she says, you actually remind me a lot of my own daughter. And Barbie was inspired by Ruth Handler's real-life daughter, Barbara. Barbara. And she says in the line, we mothers stand still so that our daughters can look back and see how far they've come. And that just sent us. Yeah, that sent me. I was, by then, I was like shaking, sobbing. Because this movie deals so very strongly in identity. And when we get to the monologue, which we're going to end with, it's just like, fuck this. There's no pleasing anybody. You know, and because, um, you know, Barbie's feet go flat and she starts getting cellulite. And people have pointed towards the problems of this and the contradictions of how is this a feminist thing and you're villainizing cellulite. Or, but it um, is stereotypes. Yes. She's stereotypical Barbie and they're speaking to certain stereotypes that society has created. So to expect of the creator of this movie to navigate things Perfectly, it is not only unfair, and there's a whole separate discussion that men who create, if if like the Martin Scorsese's of the world, created a movie, nobody holds them to. But it wasn't perfect, and you didn't speak to that point perfectly, and that's not accurate. Nobody and, and, looks at a Spielberg movie and says, "But you weren't inclusive enough." Yes, you know. So that's a whole well, other. Point. I mean, there are those arguments. However, men. Um, my, men directors in Hollywood get held to a different standard, standard where people were expecting from the Barbie movie for it to be something for everybody. And it was quite jarring. Especially given the feminism spin. Yes. And it was because feminism is so intersectional and there's so many different types of feminism as well. Yes. There was just a reality and just like an and and is what it is quality to this movie that I think made people uncomfortable. Even I went in the current socio political climate. Is it okay for Barbie to for this height of femininity to be a tall, bosomy, blonde woman? Yes, and I think we I learned a lot from. Greta Gerwig as an artist and a creator is you're holding, as you said earlier, you're holding up a mirror to society. And so for me, when I, I read all of the things post the movie and I'm trying to get, wrap my head around people's opinions because I've had, I've had some discussions with other women who are mothers who said, oh, don't waste your money. Just get it when it's street. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what they were It's expecting. worth seeing because it's pop culture and it's, it's, there's this big hype around it, but don't waste your money to go. And I was just like, well, I wasted my money twice, honey, and I'll probably waste it again <laughs> because I loved it so much. And I want to speak to that as well as before I get to that point, I just want to say that I think for the most part, don't overthink this. 
We don't have to. Yes, she's making commentary about. I don't think she's making a statement. She's not trying to make a statement and fighting the good fight. She's no. not trying to do any of that. She's just depicting reality. And, and so that's also why viewing it as a man bashing movie. That is your opinion. But I don't think that that is the purpose here. Why when we're saying, look in this mirror. This is what it looks like. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that that's, this is what things look like? This line that she says, we mothers stand still so that our daughters can look back and see how far they've come. So it's poetic and it's being described as poetic and profound, okay? But it's also being described as completely contradictory to all of the other things that she's trying to get across because in the movie. Because it excludes mothers. And, from it, and it's an archaic way of thinking and that is not what should be expected of mothers. Look, this is what's happening in the world. This is what what's happening. This is this is the reality. This is what is being expected of mothers to stand still so that their daughters can look back and see how far they've come. We're expected to let go of our absolutely everything and give up and sacrifice our entire existence, our wants, our desires, our beliefs, our everything so that we can lift up our daughters to be successful in life. Nobody's saying that that's how it should be. We're just saying that that is how it is. And what's the messaging? Us, we as millennial mothers, we're told. You can, I mean, my parents did. You can be anything you want. My parents were like, as long as you go to university, the world is your oyster, oyster. my girl. You deserve you, the most. You, you are be, capable of so much. Be whatever you want. Yes. But also, and my parents didn't push me to get married and have kids. Yes. But society? In a lot need of... need a man? Yes. And f- when are you getting for married? For me, and I don't think that this is necessarily my parents' fault... Not not fault, but I don't think that this is a reflection directly on my upbringing by my parents. But it is a very much a societal pressure that I experienced. And my biggest dream, look at me, having a wedding for my Barbie when I'm in grade two. Yeah. I just wanted to be married and yeah. have children. That's what I wanted in my life. And then as you grow older, you're like, okay, but where's your ambition? Why don't you want to be anything? There's so much more to life. And then, the, and then the, the messaging around it was that we can have it all. Mm. And then when we tried to have it all, our worlds came crashing down. And I think, so out of the group of us, you and I, who went and watched the movie, there were five of us. You and I were the ones bawling. And it made me think, even though my nieces, who are 20 and 22, said that they were emotionally touched by the movie and cried. And so I I actually asked them earlier to see if they would um, respond, and I haven't yet. I'll I'll have a look on my phone to see if they've responded. But um, they they were touched, but I noticed that in the the people who were most touched by the the movie were mothers Mm. across the board, on social media, you and I, and it it got me thinking – so much to the point of us discussing it even further and it weighing on us that this movie is actually for mothers. And there are plenty articles, if you look at it, of how um, Barbie at its core is a movie about the messy contradictions of motherhood. It's a love letter to mothers. It's a creation. It's got motherhood as a central theme. It's, And then it, it also has a you know commentary around... 
a mother-daughter relationship, which is America Ferrer. Ferrer and her daughter. And yeah. her daughter. And, and Barbie, their journey and how it and evolves. Barbie and Ruth Handler, you know. So I do – and what it got me thinking was – because then I had a look because it was another mother who took issue – in my social sphere, who took issue with that line. We mothers stand still so that our daughters can look back and see how far they've come. And she was saying, along with the writer of the HuffPost article by Emily McCombs. Yeah. Um, and we're going to add links to, to all of it as we post this. So if you want to go into our show notes. Um, Read up about it and just see for context. On- for context of the articles that we're referencing. Um, there is a faction of women who are like, that is such an archaic idea and so thanks barbie movie greta gerwig you've done everything for women but left mothers behind you know how nice and i just i saw it totally differently i saw it totally differently as well it just made me think that what greta gerwig's actually saying was there is no feminism without motherhood because that is where our vulnerability lies. We can be equal to men. We can have the same careers. We can have the same trajectory. We can choose not to be mothers. But the one thing that diverts our path from the success of men, especially in a work environment, is when we have kids mm. because we are the primary caregivers. And, and obviously I'm looking at it through a motherhood lens. Yeah. Um, but that is my take on it. And when I looked at it, I was like, surely – that is my. That is what I would assume Greta Gerwig was saying, and the only thing that's gonna confirm that for me is if she has a kid. True as nuts, she, I think, was four months postpartum when the Barbie movie came out. Mm. So that is my take on it. Whether it's right or wrong, and what I love about Greta Gerwig, and we discussed this earlier, is as all these criticisms are coming in, and as all this praise is coming in. People are talking. We the whole podcasts like this one are being created over this topic, and there are arguments that are being had. And Greta Gerwig, as an artist and a creator, is sitting back and it's like, okay, the money's also rolling in, which must be nice. Yes, but um, she's just going. She created something amazing here. This is a fantastic piece of art. Are you guys talking? Do you disagree? Cool. Tell me more. Yes. Let me watch this unfold. Let (laughs) me grab my popcorn and watch this unfold. If I write something or if we put out a podcast and people are just like, no. Engaging and like, like, even if it's a negative opinion, the conversation has been started. Yes. And we are evolving and we are better for it. Yes. That's how I feel. And that line to me, as much as in essence just black and white in comparison, it might have been um, in contradiction to what she was saying. But I think the reason it it flawed me and essentially broke me was not because I feel that this is what's expected of me as a mother – but in that moment, I was just like, this is what was expected of my mother. It's yeah. still expected of me, actually, but she's like... You and I are going, fuck that. Yes. I'm, I am burning Not, myself out. Yes. Studying, working, and mothering, and having lengthy discussions with my husband about equality and my feelings and this strain of feminism and do we agree and and we we have rigorous discussions in our household and it's work constantly that I'm doing because I'm fighting that line yes that's my life but I I feel the same as you I thought about my mom I just I just I sobbed I just in my heart I was just like 
I don't know how to put into words what this means to me. And I have to show my mom. I have to just, and maybe she won't even get what I'm feeling from it. But I want her to look at this and just be like, I see you, mom. I get it. So you took your mom. Yes. For a second viewing the weekend after and... We cried. I cried again. I cried so much and I cried even more. And I think my mom, also watching this movie, it depends on where you're at in your life, what place you're at. Yeah. You know? She, we laughed. She, she cried less than me, but I think, I think my mom's all cried out, Sam. It's a scary thing to witness because it, she's just empty, you know, but I, I wanted her to know that I appreciate her sacrifices and that the unreasonable standards that we as women or as people or as moms are being held to. I just I wanted her to know that I it's not lost on me, you know. And so I think I'm crying for me and I'm crying for her and I'm I'm crying for my girl, my daughter. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> anyway All of this commentary aside I would share my tissue with you But I've already wiped my nose with it <laughs> Go on in my handbag here when I have a free hand um, Grab one I've already So all of this I mean I, I, you, We still want to talk about the, the I want to talk about mother, mother daughter And I want to okay. talk about Because you mentioned now your relationship with Jess Let me just grab a tissue Okay Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mascara doesn't hold up, dudes. No, it's fine. Don't worry. Hot mess. <laughs> Hot mess, Bobby. <laughs> <Da, da, da. laughs> Are you finding yourself regularly sobbing, crying for no reason? <laughs> Have you recently lost your temper with your children? Mom rage, Bobby. <laughs> and broken an expensive dustbin? <laughs> There's a personal story there that you won't get into right now. Um, when I was pregnant with Noah, who's my second child, everybody was like, are you looking forward to a pigeon pair? Would you, would you, do you wish, now that you have a boy, do you wish for a girl? I was like, not a fuck. I'm hoping and praying that this is a boy. Not because I have boy clothes in the cupboard. Not because I have a school mapped out for a boy. Not because – and everybody assumed it was because girls are high maintenance and when they get to um, being a teenager, they you have to worry you have about to deal with hormones and you've got to penises and not yeah. just one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and not because, you know, the one gender is easier than the other. And I realized that having boys makes me very responsible to raise good boys. It was because I know what it's like to be a girl in this world. Mm. So, you know, you get some people who are like, um, I don't want to, I don't want to bring, they decide not to have children and that's their prerogative because of how fucked the world is. Yes. And a lot of people like, um, shit, I'm listening to that podcast by Terrence and, yes. and Julie Mentor called Three's, Three's a, crowd a Crowd and their decision to have a baby or not have a baby. And Go they, listen. Shout out yeah, to the Mentors, guys. Go, go have a listen. They decided in 2020 not to try for another one because it was 
COVID. The world's a fucking trash a, can. Yeah, it's yes. a <laughs> pandemic. And the world is no less of a trash can now. But you either want another baby or you don't want another baby. You know, if you're in, in that boat, go and listen to, to that. But it, it, yeah, I don't know. It was, it, it's, I think in the same way, I wanted another child for the various reasons that you do want a biological child in your home and you want to have a baby. And I wanted my boy to have a sibling and, you know, that was my and my husband's personal decision. I didn't want a girl because for a similar reason. A different set of rules applies. That a different set of rules applies. Exactly. So Listen, I have to tell you on that note, I never even... I have to admit, and if there are any other mothers listening to this, that it, if hopefully it makes you feel a little bit less shit about yourself, because when Sam first told me that, I felt shit. <laughs> I've made an error here in in just deciding that I want a girl. However, whether I wanted it or not, I was you, given a girl. I had no control, really had no control over it. <laughs> so no, no amount of me wanting it or not wanting it would have changed it for me but I selfishly I more selfishly wanted a girl I never even ignorantly I never even considered that and so that was an education to me and I felt shit about myself at first when I heard that but then I thought okay well I had no control over it so that's irrelevant but also just there is for you Sam to just know that there is an awful lot of pressure on boys today yeah, there there is a, a a different set of rules apply to boys and girls, but there is an exceptional amount of pressure on young boys today to to do the right thing and to be the right man. Yeah, and so you have got your job cut out for I you as this. well. I know this, and, and there's I recognize a it. lot of pressure that goes with that as well. So did did this movie make you look at your relationship with your kids differently? Because you discussed how it made you see your mother. Did it have any bearing on your relationship with your children? It didn't. Not, it didn't bring up anything new for me that I haven't already felt. It, it just again put up a mirror to the fact that we have our jobs cut out for us, and you are most times, more often than not, going to be faced with a damned if I do, damned if I don't scenario, yeah, and you just have to, I feel like, and going back to that monologue with America Ferreira, not just in terms of being a woman in this world, but in terms of being a mother, I have to live knowing all those things. I already know what it's like out there. What I know what's coming in their direction. I don't know how to protect them from it. Well, we can't. I don't know how to change yeah. that for them. And I have to have very adult, complicated conversations with my children to help them hopefully have a better understanding for the world and navigate things. And I realized just the other day I had a conversation with Joshua where he did something and I think the way I articulated it came across incorrectly and I didn't realize my mistake at the time until a couple of days later he said to me, life is unfair because if you're a girl, you're always protected and if you're a boy, it's not the same. Wow. And I was like, that is a big statement and that is an error on my part 
because we're in our household so making them aware, not necessarily of gender-based violence, but the inequality between that. I think we've hit the, the pendulum effect yes. with him yes, because he feels unprotected as a boy because it's all about it's all about how to protect Jesse Lynn. Yes, and yeah. girls and, and it is your job as a man to advocate for them and protect and 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 so I think that we've probably done a bit of an injustice there and I had to sit down and apologize to him for making it seem that way. And but clearly there's opportunity to course correct here. Yeah. Yes. And so it was a learning moment for me. And so looking at the movie and how I parent my children, I didn't really, the, nothing new was highlighted for me. Wasn't it just so affirming though? Yes. And, and in a very sad way. And how, I called it like a, it was like a Trojan horse of a movie. Because it's very cotton candy on the outside. It's, it's, ex it's the epitome of that... Um, now, I forget the musical's name, but there's a song called Send in the Clowns. And it's, it's about how everything on the outside is looking hunky-dory and full of colors and smile and the show must go on. And it's so... It's such a farce. I'm expecting the clowns in the circus to roll in and do the happy dance. But I'm broken inside and it's all just colors and bells and whistles on the outside. But underneath there's a lot yeah. brewing. And it would be too heavy and too inaccessible for her to have gone there without the facade. And the satire. And the satire. And that's the beauty of that brand of comedy what a creation though if you think of it in that concept i'm, I'm all for what it what a work of art yeah. and then also i mean I'm, i hope i can get to this point now because <laughs> it, i really want to make okay, this yeah. point is bearing in mind that i am a ex-musical theater student yes okay we did skip over this point so before we conclude please say this yeah All of that stuff aside, and I think that's why it was such a big Trojan horse for me. All of these things, these deep, meaningful things, argue whether they're relevant, relevant or not, or whether they're archaic or whether they're contradictory or inclusive or, or inclusive. Not, or, yeah. All of these arguments. You have a cast that is exceptional. They dance to exceptional music. With exceptional choreography, it is bright, it is colorful, it is funny. Sorry, I just spat. It is hilarious. <laughs> the, it is entertainment at the From beginning top to end. Live. I was laughing, I was crying, I was wanting to break out in dance. <laughs> I sang along, I was moved. I was. If you're talking about entertainment at its core level... This is the stuff that dreams are made of people. <laughs> What an entertaining. I felt like I was on a roller coaster ride. And it starts with this homage to um, 2001 Space Odyssey, which we missed in the first viewing. I only caught it up on social media, ironically. Yes, I saw it in the second one. I was so grateful the second time I watched it. And I was so grateful that I did yeah. go and see it again because so we missed it. In it, Helen Mirren, who's the narrator... Um, you know, these babies are playing with their mundane baby dolls and then they... they It's very like grey. The set, the scene is very like grey and colourless. 
Yeah, and they meet their first Barbie who towers over them and um, the girls feel compelled. And this is this is in a, a the conversation article by Aviva Dovibun, who's an um, film and studies scholar at the Arizona State University. And I really, like I said, I'm going to link everybody up to all these articles because I found them fascinating. And um, it compels kids. So this Barbie stands up. These girls, there's these girls playing around in the dust and they're playing with these like, you know, the scary type of like dolls. Mm. Um, creepy. Like antique dolls. Antique like, dolls, yeah. yeah. I'm saying creepy. I don't know whether that was the intention. Oh, no, Joshua would agree 100% because <laughs> Jesse's one doll is his, yeah, it's, it's like it's a creepy doll. And um, these girls are playing and this Barbie comes up and uh, the Barbie compels the kids to leave the ennui of motherhood behind for the pink plastic sparkle of Barbie land where all the Barbies live their best lives forever, embodying feminine perfection and possibility. And then... Um, Helen Mirren yeah. speaks to she, <laughs> she she is the narrator and she said th- that she says basically could only ever play at being mothers, which can be fun. And then she pauses with like meaningfully for a while and then she adds with a like cynical tone, ask your mother. <laughs> Which is fantastic. It's yeah. I need to. I need to have a rewatch because we, for various reasons, missed the the beginning part for the first time. So, like I say, I only caught up on on social media. But I'm like, it is centered on motherhood. The whole damn movie is centered on motherhood. Yeah. Because a lot. Of, if 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 Greta Gerwig is making a statement at all, I would assume that that's it. That a lot of womanhood stems out of the way we view mothers, and that's. The crux of why it got to us. I think. I think so too. I definitely think so. I mean, I'd be. Have you unpacked it with your girlfriends who are not mothers? No, but they seemed also to kind of shrug and be like, "We don't know what's new," and I'm just like, "You're not a mother, though." Let me see if my niece has got back to me. Yeah, Let's see, because my phone's on silent. Yeah. And um, I mean, I no, just not yet, not yet. But I'm keen to hear from them what moved them, and I wonder if it was the monologue. Because for older women, I think America's Ferrera's monologue is like, yes, you if you're on any kind of TikTok or Instagram or just have lived, you know, through young adulthood and into your thirties and into your forties, America Ferrera's monologue hits all the points. But it's nothing new. But if you are a young girl who's navigating for the first time as an adolescent and are entering womanhood as a 20, 22-year-old, probably this is what slaps because, and they call it, the cognitive dissonance required to be a woman under patriarchy. It's just the it's just what we live and I think maybe that's the affirmation. So that's a monologue. And I thought we should read it. Mm. So, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to get... I'm going to get you started on that. <laughs> and this is, I mean, this is from our perspective because it really, yeah. really does hit home and it's what we talk about on this podcast. Episode in and episode out. Okay, Charlene, take it away. I'll join you. It is literally impossible to be a woman. 
You are so beautiful and so smart, and it kills me that you don't think you're good enough. Like, we have to always be extraordinary, but somehow we're always doing it wrong. You have to be thin, but not too thin. And you can never say you want to be thin. You have to say you want to be healthy, but also you have to be thin. You have to have money, but you can't ask for money because that's crass. You have to be a boss, but you can't be mean. You have to lead, but you can't squash other people's ideas. You're supposed to love being a mother, but don't talk about your kids all the damn time. You have to be a career woman, but also always be looking out for other people. You have to answer for men's bad behavior, which is insane. But if you point that out, you're accused of complaining. You're supposed to stay pretty for men, but not so pretty that you tempt them too much or that you threaten other woman because you're supposed to be a part of the sisterhood but always stand out and always be grateful but never forget that the system is rigged so find a way to acknowledge that but also always be grateful you have to never get old never be rude never show off never be selfish never fall down never fail never show fear never get out of line it's too hard it's too contradictory and nobody gives you a medal and nobody says thank you and it turns out in fact, that not only are you doing everything wrong, but also everything is your fault. I am just so tired of watching myself and every single other woman tie herself into knots so that people will like us. And if all of that is also true for a doll just representing woman, then I don't even know. There are many points that we've made. <laughs> many. But a bottom line for me, and I'm going to reference another article here, is how I, I, I want to reiterate that I don't think that there's one point that was made in this movie. I think that was just this mirror to society and a lot of it slapped. And also the, there's this article by Insider.com um, called Barbie Hood. Um, well, it, it's something to do with Barbie Hood being... Um, you know, relatable in terms of motherhood and parenting specifically. So it deals with that. And in it, it says there's more than one way to be a woman and more than one way to be a mother. And I think that's the takeaway that I'd like to get from it is that you fucked either way. So do it your way and let it be your intention to let just the leave. Just fall where they may. Let the chips fall as they may. The only thing that that would be wrong is if you hurt somebody while doing what you're doing. And deliberately so. Yeah. If you're deliberately doing so. So as a woman, do your thing. Yeah. You know? And Trust as a mother. Your gut. And like don't don't be expected to be put in this box yeah. that looks a certain way. Because it's impossible. You can't like make everyone you can't expect everyone to fit into specific parameters it's not possible so it's just a mantra that i've got to keep saying to myself every day i've got a question like i say it's just this relentless work that i do on myself in my family with my kids with my husband in our relationship it's it's work and i do sometimes just need to lay down like barbie and just like, morph into i mean this is a podcast so if you're not watching us on youtube it's please go google it if you haven't seen the movie yet she's literally just like arms to her side straight rolls over onto her face 
Like and you know what? Sometimes that's okay too. So that's my takeaway. Is sometimes Sam He's gotta roll over and lay there. Roll over and lay there for a little bit <laughs> because I'm doing a lot and I don't give myself enough credit. And that's a very personal take from a very large movie, but I'm sure Greta Gerwig would approve. <laughs> <laughs> Bottom line for you, and then we need to keep talking. I guess yeah. I I don't know if I I feel like sometimes we just have to take art as at face value. It's mm. a creation of I mean if we're talking in context of what people's opinions are of the movie, is it right? Is it wrong? I genu I I appreciated all of those messages. I appreciate the mirror that we're that's being put up and looked at and like your friends None of this is really surprising or none of this is news to us like they like their view on it was. But at the end of the day is also I sometimes just just enjoy it. Just take it. Just appreciate it for what it was. This is a wonderful creation and how great that she's that she is sending messaging or maybe not sending messaging or just like creating this thing that gets people talking like yes there's there's conversations being opened up here whether that was her intention or not whether she was just sitting there like isn't it funny how this is how life works <laughs> and people don't realize this and maybe I'd like to show them the irony or the 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 satire behind this and let the chips fall as they may you know and now this whole conversation all of these conversations have developed when at the end of the day all I can think of is how wonderfully well choreographed <laughs> the scene was with Ken dancing with all the other Kens. Oh, man. It's a great <laughs> movie. And I, honestly, if I could even, because this is now a podcast about a work of art, but we're creating something and initiating conversation. So I think we need to keep talking. Yes. And, and my hope is that will elicit similar conversations among mothers and husbands and wives and friends. Yes. I mean, we always say this. All of our listeners, you know this. If you want to chat with us, if you want to weigh in on our conversation, if you want to cry with us, because again, we cried today <laughs> unintentionally. Mm -hmm. If you want to swear or rant or just just chat, hit us up over email. Um, I don't know our email address. <laughs> the Great Equalizer. The Great Equalizer. <laughs> we have many. I've said it so many times, I can't <laughs> believe I forgot it. <laughs> DM us a voice note otherwise on Insta or record one on your phone and pop us another mail again. Um, and please, if you're listening, wherever you're listening, please subscribe, hit the like button. Um, we're on YouTube as well. Tune in if you want to see our faces and you'd prefer to not just listen to us. And please share the link with some of your mates who don't know where to find us. Your support, guys, is super important to us. And you really have no idea how much every like, love, comment and share means to us. We even, even every unfollow. <laughs> Even every unfollow means something to us, believe it or not. Believe it or not. we You know what? We're not for everybody, but we're also starting to really get a grip of what we're saying and how we're saying it. And I take a leaf out of Greta Gerwig's book and 
yeah, I'm enjoying seeing the responses. So keep keep them coming. Yes. And please don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts or rate us on Facebook. If you've had a positive experience with our medium, whether it be on streaming, listening or watching on YouTube, please pop us a rate us or a review. Um, every every harki, every thumbs up you give us, even on TikTok, please, it means the world to us. And whatever your poison is, please find us and just Leave a loving review. Not not a shitty one. Those you can keep to yourself. But <laughs> <laughs> And I've just spoken about unfollowing. But you know what? Just go back and hit the subscribe button because then you'll know um, that there's a new episode up before everybody else does. Um, so, yeah, again, we're on YouTube, Apple Pods, Google Pods, Spotify, Stitcher, and even TikTok and Twitter. And Twitter. And Is it X? X. Lordy. We're on X, guys. Um, and again, our email, info at Also, the more we're seen, the better this podcast will do and the better we will be for you. We're here to serve you people. We are. <laughs> and so that's it for this week. Uh, Charlene, you're doing a good job. So are you, Samantha. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe next time I'll have less shit to talk about. Literal shit. <laughs> well, it, it's unlikely, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time. Keep your, your mom game strong. Shout out to our producers over at Autumn Aperture and Arch Studios, including our editor Ray Hertz and sound engineer Stephen Krill. Please review our show notes for more on today's topic and expert guest. And for more on The Great Equalizer, our website is always a good idea, www.thegreatequalizer.co.za, along with our social media platforms on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and now YouTube. And of course, if you want to chat with Sam or Charlene directly, email us at info at thegreatequalizer.co.za. We would love to hear from you. And guess what? We respond. Cute.